Well, this morning we come to the end of our series looking at this most famous of prayers that Jesus taught us to pray. It's printed for you as it has been every week, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Uh, Let us give our careful attention to the reading of God's word, just these few verses. This is the word of the Lord, Uh, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, this has been the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Well, again, we're at the end of of this series. It's been eight weeks. And we come to that last petition, the sixth petition, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, a few weeks ago, I I, I contended that the first petition, Hallowed Be Your Name, I think that is the most least understood petition. And the only reason for that is because we don't hallow things, right? So to begin by saying, Hallowed Be Your Name, we have to unpack what it means to to hallow something. And so if you missed that, it's it's on the website. You can go check out the message on Hallowed Be Your Name. That's the, the least understood petition. Now, I think this petition is the most misunderstood petition. Because we do talk about temptation a lot. We talk about evil a lot, inside, outside the church. These are familiar concepts. And so what we need to unpack with this misunderstood petition is what exactly are we praying for? So for instance, are we praying that we would be kept from temptation, that we would be able to avoid temptation? And I don't think that's right. I'll say that right now. To live in this world is to be surrounded by temptation. We will be tempted. What is the evil that we're, we're seeking to be delivered from? Again, these are familiar concepts. Talk about temptation all the time where chocolate companies talk about it in a, in a good way, right? They want to tempt us to eat their products or, or luxury car manufacturers. We're tempted to check our phones in our pockets. Uh, we, we can't keep certain foods in our home because we will be tempted to eat them. And so one thing is for sure, no matter what, you are going to face temptation of some kind. The second part of the request, which is difficult, is this idea of deliver us from evil, because it, it just sounds so dramatic, doesn't it? I mean, if we really listen to it, de- deliver us from evil, it, it sounds like a, the title of a horror movie, and that piqued my interest. Has it ever been the title of a horror movie? And it has. <laughs> and so let me read you the synopsis of 2014's Deliver Us From Evil. A New York police officer joins forces with an unconventional priest schooled in the rites of exorcism to combat the possessions that are terrorizing the city. I mean, if I were to come up with a story of deliver us from evil, I couldn't do better than that. That's pretty good. But it's complicated. We have to unpack it, right? What does it mean to be delivered from evil? At the end of the day, I think here's the point. At the end of the day, this is where Jesus brings us in this model prayer. This is how he concludes the prayer. This is all about needing our Father's help. And it's going to sound dramatic, but bear with me, because we are in danger. We need our Father's help because we are in spiritual danger every day. And the problem is that we forget this. The problem is that we don't live like that's true, which is why I think Jesus says this, this needs to be in the model prayer I'm giving to you. Uh, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. 
Because to live in this world is to be surrounded by temptation and it's to recognize that the stakes of this life are very high, often higher than we let on. That there is evil in this world and we are not immune to evil in this world, either as victims of that evil or as perpetrators of that evil. And so this is a prayer of confession that we are not strong enough to overcome the world as it is. And so we turn to the one who is strong enough. So just two points this morning as we unpack, I think, these, these misunderstood ideas that Jesus is, is bringing before us. The first is that we have to grasp hold of the weight of the world. We have to acknowledge that this prayer really is a cry for help. And then the second part is the hope of deliverance. We need more than help. We need rescue. We need the deliverance that God provides. All right, so our first point, right, we have to, to grasp hold of the weight of the world in which we find ourselves, and so that's what this petition is. It's a reminder of the world that is heavy, and it is burdening, and it weighs us down, and we are not in a position, we do not have the privilege as followers of Jesus to turn a blind eye to the weightiness of the world. This world is not only hard, it's not only wearying, it is a world that is also threatening, Part of the heaviness of the world that we experience is that we are surrounded by temptation. Um, and, and temptation, if I could just define that, it would, it would basic, basically be anything that can draw our hearts away from God. And they're all around us. Now here's where things get complicated. As we pray to be led not into those things that draw us away from God, in chapter 1 of the book of James, we are told very, very clearly, James 1.13, God tempts no one. And so our question is, what does it mean to ask the God who we're told tempts no one to not lead us into temptation? Let's start by unpacking the ways the New Testament talks about temptation. First of all, there is this intimate connection between three T's, temptations, trials, and tests. There's such a connection that in the Greek, in the language of the New Testament in which it was written, there is one Greek word for all three of those T words in English. Temptations, trials, and tests. Now, we would say they have different meanings. There, there are different nuances that each word has, and yet what we're going to see is they really are intertwined. They, they really do always go together in some way. They don't mean the same thing, but they always go together. There's an intimate connection. Furthermore, while God tempts no one, God uses temptations to test us. So God uses that which does not come from him, uh, Something that draws us away from God, that doesn't originate in the heart of God, and yet God uses those things for our good and for his glory. We'll go back to James chapter 1. We were just here a few weeks ago, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, it was common for our fathers in the faith to talk about temptations in two ways. They talked about temptations of the left hand and temptations of the right hand. These are great categories. And so temptations of the left hand are when we are tempted by weak things or, or tempted by weakness. So sickness. Poverty, dishonor, rejection. Uh, So to be diagnosed with a chronic illness, that's not a temptation, right? That's a trial. To be diagnosed with a chronic illness. Embedded in that trial, though, are particular temptations. 
Let's say your company uh, has to lay off a department that you're in. That is not a temptation, right? That is a trial to be laid off from your job. However, embedded in that trial are, are particular temptations that you may have. And, and so what, what kind of temptations arise with, with daily pain or financial hardship? Well, you can see how these trials can incite bitterness, hatred, envy, despair. Our hearts can become embittered, hard. Or maybe we can deny responsibility and we can say, I'm just, a, I'm just a victim of fate. I'm just a victim of my circumstances. But that's not all because there are also temptations of the right hand. And that's where we're tempted by strength. And so remember, as much as being laid off is a test, so is the promotion. That too is a test. As much as daily chronic pain is a test, so is beauty and youth. Optimum health is a test. And so what temptations arise from there? Well, you can imagine pride, arrogance, vanity, greed. And so on the one hand, we can be tempted to forget about God, right? I'm strong, I'm, I'm youthful, I'm rich, I'm successful. Or we can be tempted to believe that God doesn't care about us at all, that he's forgotten us. I'm poor, my health is falling apart. And so these trials and temptations that we experience are tests. And through these tests, we learn more about ourselves and we learn about God, and, and it's in these tests where our faith is formed. It's so often through these tests where, where we come to see our need and dependence of God. We, we have our, our weakness exposed. We are not as strong as we thought we were. But let me also say, we also see really encouraging things through these tests. We see God's sanctifying work through these tests. An example that, that I counsel to, to many of you is, you know, one of the things about temptation is that's one of the clearer insights into where we see God's grace at work. So, for instance, when you are tempted and you feel the allure of that sin, and yet out of obedience to Christ, you say no. What a graspable picture of God's work in your life, right? Right? Because you knew exactly why that sin had a magnetism to your heart, and yet out of obedience you said no. I mean, grab hold of that example. What, what, what a beautiful thing that God has given you. What a gift he has given you to remember how he is at work in your life. Well, that's what tests do. That's what trials do. Furthermore, let's expand a little bit more on the temptations that we face. Not only left hand and right hand, but, but you can also think we have temptations that are external and internal. Temptations that are outside of us that entice us to sin, that's usually what we mean by temptation. So this is where we are tempted by the world's lies and promises about where happiness and pleasure and identity are found. They allure us with the promises of life and goodness, but they're, they're just lies, and yet, man, they appeal to us. We, we hear them. We start to align our lives according to those false voices. Jesus began his ministry in the wilderness facing this kind of temptation. Right, he fasts for 40 days. He goes out into the wilderness. The devil comes to him and he tests Jesus with the allure of power, with the allure of pleasure, and Jesus holds fast to the word of God. You could say the Bible is the story of temptation. It begins in the garden with temptation. Adam fails. God creates a nation who are constantly tempted by the nations and they fail. You and I fail and Christ alone prevails. That's the Bible. Where Adam failed, Israel failed, you and I fail, Christ alone prevailed. Book of Hebrews, he was tempted in every way without sin. And, and we know this because he was a high priest, able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we're not done. 
because we also have temptations that are internal that arise inside of us. This is what James talks about in James 1. Again, it's a a really helpful uh, chapter on, on this topic where James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for he cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so here's the threat. Here's the scary part. Not only are we tempted by external voices that sound really, really good, but we are tempted by our own hearts. We are tempted from within, from our own fallen desires. Temptation is not just pressed in on us, but it also arises from within us. And I'm bringing all of this up to just basically convey the idea that we're in trouble. And I'm going to say at this point, it's why we can't just have Jesus as an example for us. This is the reason Jesus can't just be a good moral teacher. He can't just be the example, the pattern that we follow after. We need his righteousness because the problem goes all the way down to the root. And the point of all of this is that we're surrounded. Voices of sex, money, and power. Voices of of pride and self-righteousness. They're loud and they're attractive and they sound good. And we have tests and trials that are all around us because we live in a world that is cursed from sin. We live in this environment of threat and the stakes are high. And yet so easily we put our guard down. We forget this. We don't wake up in the morning concerned about the world, the flesh, and the devil. At least I don't most of the time, right? We wake up worried about parent-teacher conferences and, 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 and traffic, and those are, those are concerns that we have, but the world and the flesh and the devil, that's, that's too far beyond me. So maybe this prayer reorients us just a little bit to the struggle that Paul describes as not against flesh and blood, because maybe you have a shot in that fight. But no, the battle is between powers and principalities. And so this petition, like all of the petitions, it just reminds us of our need for God. And so we're surrounded by temptation, and And so let's go back to that tricky question I mentioned at the beginning. What does it mean to pray to the God who tempts no one to not lead us into temptation? And I think the key is this little tiny word, this little preposition that maybe we pass over too fast, and that little word is into. You see, temptation is not something we can avoid. I I hope I've, I've made that relatively clear. But it is something that we can either enter into or we cannot. And so this prayer means, help me to see temptation for what it is and to flee it. To not be near the allure of sin. You know, one of our problems is that we play with fire. we're, We're always trying to wonder, where is the boundary to my greed? Where is the boundary to my lust? To lead us not into temptation is to say, I I don't even want to be near the fire. To not be enticed with sin in a way that will be greater than I can bear. And so this is a prayer of protection. And so we pray that we would not enter into temptation when it comes, when we see it, when we're in the midst of it. And how can we not enter temptation? Or when we're overcome with temptation, what do we do? And that's the second part of the same petition. Deliver us from evil. Let's go to our second and final point. This is the hope of deliverance. Our prayer in the face of spiritual danger is not a prayer for help. We are not like a small army fending off the enemy and then all of a sudden we pray calling for reinforcements. No, we're asking for rescue. That's what deliverance is. I know it sounds tame to our ears, but it's in the same kind of words that we use in crisis that have urgency to them. We ask God to to deliver us, to save us, to rescue us, to extricate us from evil. 
There's so many of these cries in the Psalms. Psalm 82, Lord, rescue the weak and needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Or Psalm 144, rescue me and deliver me from the many waters. And so this prayer that we pray, it reminds us of the danger in which we find ourselves and the deliverance we need. I came across an amazing video on YouTube the other day called Dad Saves the Day. It's a compilation video. You can think of like America's Home, Funniest Home Videos kind of thing, right? And and the theme of, of this compilation were children who were in peril being rescued by their dads in kind of humorous ways. And so it would be like a little tyke's car just, just zooming down the hill. It's about ready to crash into a group of kids. And the dad comes in and just picks the car up. Or a kid's on a swing set and, and that child is going to be launched backwards. And then dad just puts his arm out and he catches the kid. The best video is his dad's asleep on the couch and his baby's next to him sitting up. And then the baby starts to kind of lose balance and starts to fall off the couch. And dad intuitively wakes up, sticks his arm out, grabs the kid by the diaper and places the child back on the couch. Those videos are parables of the father's deliverance of his children. They're parables. What's interesting is is how often those kids have no idea what kind of trouble they're in. Right? That baby has no idea how bad it's going to hurt, and it never would know that. And so part of this prayer is to realize, listen, uh, how many times has God preserved and sustained our lives? More than we can ever imagine, right? And so this prayer dials in to realize just how much we need God's preserving work in our lives. Those videos are just parables of the Father's love for us. In this petition, we're asking God, save us from all of the evil, not just that I can fall into, but that I promote that can come up from within me to deliver us from all of the evil around us and done to us. We're also asking God to deliver us from the evil one. Think of 1 Peter 5, 8, where Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be watchful is military language. Don't forget you're in a spiritual war zone. And so this petition is this reminder. It calls us, sober up, wake up. But if it's a spiritual war zone, then maybe, again, this prayer is not what we would expect. Because we aren't to pray maybe how you and I would think. We aren't taught to pray for strength. We aren't taught to pray for more willpower or more resolve. We aren't even taught to go to battle against evil. We're taught to rely on our Heavenly Father as our refuge our deliverer. So the temptation here is is to under-realize our need. We recognize that there are spiritual perils in the world. I think most of us kind of grasp some idea of that. And so what we need God to be is like the bumpers of a bowling lane, just kind of helping us not go off into the gutter. And I think Jesus' prayer is actually what you need is God to carry you all the way home. We need something, we need someone stronger than evil to rescue us. And this is where Jesus didn't come to just help us, he came to rescue us. I already mentioned how at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus is led into the wilderness where he proves himself the faithful and obedient son. He is the victorious second Adam. He prevails. And then like a bookend, at the end of his ministry, Jesus faces the truest and deepest form of temptation and trial you can imagine. Jesus enters this trial in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
As Jesus heads into the fire of his trial, he prays in Matthew 26, when he comes and he sees his disciples sleeping, he says, you have to stay awake because you need to pray that you may not enter into the temptation or you may not enter into the trial. Same word, probably both meanings. Because, Jesus said, even though your spirit is willing, even though you're saying, Lord, I will go with you to the end, Jesus says, you won't because your flesh is weak. And so the disciples may be there beside Jesus in the garden, but they are not with him in the moment of his trial. They are mere spectators, and that's when they can keep their eyes open. As they prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, they just kept drifting off to sleep. They witnessed Jesus' temptation and suffering, but they do not bear it in the same way he does, and it's because they could not bear it in the same way that he does. So Jesus entered into the trial. He entered into the greatest manifestation of evil in order to rescue us, in order to conquer evil and all of its consequences. And what does that mean for us? It means everything. It means that in our trials, when we are faced with the evil in this world and the sin and the brokenness that weighs upon us, we look to Jesus and his trial and his suffering at the hands of evil. And we can know that whatever trial we are in, it will not have the last word. And we can know that God is at work in our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. That he was led into the trial, into the heaviest temptation you can imagine. And he teaches us to pray that we would not be delivered into evil when he himself was. He wasn't delivered from the time of his trial. Jesus stood in for us, bearing the weight of this world and of our sins. He entered death, and he came out the other side. And what looked like defeat was the victory of God. And what this means is that though we find ourselves in a world surrounded by temptation, where evil is at work in all of its destructive ways, we are not to pray this prayer fearfully. We are not to pray this prayer with with anxiousness or worry. We are acknowledging there are threats all around us, and yet maybe we pray this prayer with some confidence because we pray it in the victory of Jesus. We know that because he was not delivered in his test, that when God tests us, it is not for our punishment, but it is for our good. We know that because he loves us. And we really know he loves us because we see Jesus not delivered in his trial for us. We pray this prayer surrounded by temptation amidst the reality of evil in the confidence of Christ's victory. And so friends, this is the Lord's Prayer. Eight weeks going through this prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. And you may have noticed that we're not going to be looking at the words that we pray every single week, right? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. There, there, there's a reason for that. It's probably not original to the text of Matthew. On the other hand, the evidence for that being prayed is so, so early. And I think it's good to pray. In fact, it's, it's very unlikely. We can't find a single first century Jewish prayer that would end, deliver us from evil. There's no prayer that ends that abruptly. And so it would have some kind of of, of conclusion. And so it's so fitting because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It it fits in perfectly with Old Testament prayers and Old Testament themes. And then it, it goes back to the themes of this prayer. And so I'm saying it's a great way to end the Lord's Prayer. And the last words I'll say in this series is maybe it's also an encouragement for those of us faced with temptations in this world. For those of us confronted with evil, because we see here that God does have the last word. 
That in our concerns of daily bread and and in our struggle with sin and in our life in a world that so often presses down upon us in all of its evil, we pray this prayer knowing that God's kingdom is sure, that he has the power to accomplish his redemptive purposes. And even in this world of trial and evil, we can with great hope anticipate when the whole earth is full of his glory. But in the meantime, we pray. But in the meantime, we pray, our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's pray. Father, I I confess that I, I think spending eight weeks on the Lord's prayer is in vain if we don't pray it. It's in vain if, if we don't see the, the, the privilege of what it is to be called as your children. Who are we to be called the children of God? And yet we are. And so, Lord, by your Holy Spirit who, who builds up in us our knowledge and wisdom and growth in Christ, Lord, help us to be those who pray this prayer, who model our prayers on, on what you, Lord, have taught us to pray that our lives would would be God-centered, kingdom-oriented, that we would know that all of our needs are to be brought to you because you care, because it's not just that you are a boss or a manager or a king, which you are, are all of those things in some particular way, but you, first of all, are revealed to us in our prayer lives as our Father who cares, our Father who is for us. And so, Lord, would you establish that into the depths of our hearts as we face a world that is is so often so hard. Lord, would you give us great confidence in the victory that you achieved in your time of trial for us. And Lord, we pray this in the name of our victor, Jesus Christ. It's his name we pray. Amen.